going to be a good day. Monday we do have a little bit left available here. Check us out familyfarmbeefbox.com. Thanks. Have a good day. We are honored on War Stories today to have with us General Robert Earthquake Titus. Uh, he goes back a long ways. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you and good day to you. So you have a, a storied background. I want to just give our audience a quick overview. You were Enlisted in the 82nd Airborne as a squad leader in 45-46. You were commissioned in 49 as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Air Force. Flew P-51s and F-86s in the Korean War. Uh, you were a test pilot in the F-100 series. And you flew F-4s in Vietnam, I believe, and down three MiGs. Am I correct in all that? Yes. Uh -huh. So can you tell me about flying the P-51? I mean... It, you know, I, I'm a rotor head and, you know, I flew the Huey first and it was just like a sports car. And I'm wondering if the P-51 or F-51 was the same way. Well, uh, it's slightly different, of course. I've flown the Huey, uh -huh. but uh, the Mustang was my first fighter and uh, my checkout was pretty simple. I essentially was taken out and told to fly the airplane and that was it. <laughs> uh, and uh, I flew them uh, at Tyndall Air Force Base. Uh, making blips for radar controllers uh, while they were training to to intercept missions, uh -huh. and then I went to Luke to shoot gunnery, and then I went to Japan, and ultimately I got to Korea, and so I flew uh, Mustangs, bombing railroad tracks, and providing close air support for the Army and the uh, Marines, and I did that until we essentially ran out of Mustangs, and my squadron was converted to F-86s. Actually, they split the uh, pilots of the squadron into two groups. Some went to the 4th Fighter Wing and the rest of us went to the 51st Fighter Wing. So I was with <coughs> Gabby Gabreski in the 51st Fighter Wing at Suwon. So what was the F-86 like? Was it? Uh, I, I saw one of your other interviews. You said it was very easy. Yeah, it was a, a kitty cart. <laughs> like riding a tricycle. It was, no, it was amazing because up until the time I checked out in the F-86, you weren't allowed to fly jets until you'd flown them, it seemed. Typical Air Force stuff, the catch yeah. too. But uh, my checkout was very simple. I think it was my fourth uh, checkout ride when I was flying number four and discovered I was on a combat mission. Oh, jeez. There was no yeah. burning thing and, uh, you know, hey, you're flying four, okay, go out and get in an airplane and follow the other three. But I realized it was a, a combat mission when we suddenly turned south uh, at a high rate of speed. And, and then uh, a MiG was apparently uh, the target. The lead had picked up, but his radio had failed. And the MiG just zoomed out of the formation, went, went north. And I saw him go, but there was no way to catch him. Yeah. So that was my checkout. So what were you, the F-86 was armed with cannons. Was there any other armaments on it? Well, I mean, it was capable of carrying bombs. We didn't because we were doing intercept work and going up. Yeah. We didn't do anything else. 
We sat was, trip alert, and then uh, sometimes we were scrambled. And most of the times we were not. Sometimes we were scheduled to fly, in which case we'd go up on a cap. Right. Was, was there any missiles on the F-86 at that stage? No. Just, okay. just 650 calibers. Gotcha. And the Mustang, you know, I didn't finish telling you about the Mustang. I mean, you asked me about the Mustang. I think it's the greatest airplane that uh, was ever built. It was a joy to fly to me. Yeah. It was a challenge for a lot of people, uh, obviously, because uh, they were dinging them right and left. But uh, I didn't have any problem with it. I found that I was totally in control of it and felt comfortable with it no matter what. Used to practice inverted spins and anything I could make it do. And wow. Pretty impressive airplane. And it had the range. I mean, why was that? Was it because there was just extra fuel or was the motor uh, engine redesigned to be more efficient or what? Because it was able to escort during World War II, right? Well, they were able to get to Berlin when they started carrying external tanks. I see. Uh, yeah. And uh, but uh, sometimes we had them and most of the time we didn't because, you know, we were taking off and Hitting the railroads and uh, and then going to secondary targets, which were designated points of attack, mm -hmm. and uh, then we were prohibited from going to secondary targets because we were losing too many airplanes in an effort to tear up the targets that we were assigned to. Yeah, you, I saw one of your interviews where you actually ingested uh, some tree limbs coming over a ridge. Tell us about that. Oh, I was flying number two with a guy by the name of. Uh, Bob Herman, Red Dog Herman. Anyway, uh, he was strafing a bunker on the ridge, and I was behind him, and I saw another bunker, and you could see them shooting at you. And I picked up that bunker, and he said, there's another one on top of the ridge, and he already passed. And so I picked up my pulled back a little bit and picked up that other, gave it a hosing, and, but then I realized I was trying to pull out, and it was mm -hmm. very close to situation i didn't realize it i waited a little too long <laughs> closed my eyes and pulled like hell and waited for the crash it didn't happen and when i got back the crew chief was quizzically looking at the intake and frown on his face and i got <laughs> out and looked and sure enough there was a tree branch there <laughs> as you got that i said beats me <laughs> so uh after korea you went into the F-100 series. Uh, you know, I, I'm an Air Force grad, and there was an F-105 on the Terrazzo, and I always wondered what it would be like to fly that thing. I mean, it was just a, a fuel tank and an engine, right? I mean, essentially. Yeah, it was a, it was a good high-powered airplane. It was designed to do everything anyone could think of. Mm -hmm. You even had uh, specialized air intercept uh, uh, gun sights and so on. Mm -hmm. I used it for that when I flown. Well, when I flew it in flight test, that was just, I did stability and control mm -hmm. until Deke Slayton, who was then selected to be an astronaut, uh, was doing the performance on another airplane, same, I mean, on an F-105, but I had the instrument at uh, stability and control airplane. When he left, I had to finish the stability, the uh, performance on his airplane. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was a clean airplane, and mostly it was uh, validating the uh, the uh, contractor's data, right? Checking out uh, the damping characteristics and what have you, normal stability control stuff. Yeah. And so it was a uh, you know a, 
a fast-moving airplane. You uh, go on one mission, escorting van, uh, with phantoms, and uh, saying to the strike force, "Well, you want an escort? You better slow down." <laughs> and we couldn't keep up with them. Yeah. And in Bitburg uh, and in Spangdalem, we'd fly uh, uh, equivalent missions. We have targets in France to simulate targets that we're going to hit in, in Germany. Or mm-hmm. Germany. And uh, we push up point, you push it up to 600 knots, and there at 500 feet and 600 knots. Wow. Smoke into the target, and you just go like hell on the deck. So. Right. Hard to keep up with that airplane when it was on the deck going full burner. It was a Bombay in the 105 too, right? They built it with a Bombay, and that's why it got uh, acceptance over the F-107, which in some instances had been perceived by others as a superior airplane. Hmm. It did not have an in, uh, a Bombay or an internal carriage. It had a depression mm-hmm. and a fuselage. But the weapon at the time uh, was presumed to need uh, to be protected in a Bombay to keep it from the elements. Right. But uh, by the time we put the airplane into service, we were the first wing to put the F-105D into service and, uh, at Bitburg in Germany. And the uh, next thing we knew, we were carrying the bomb externally. You put a bomb, put a fuel tank in the Bombay and shut it off. Huh. We were carrying the T-20X, uh, the nomenclature of the bomb, but we were carrying yeah. it externally. So, so much for that. So then you transitioned to uh, Vietnam and flew F-4s, am I correct? Uh, initially, I went to Vietnam to fly F-5s. Uh, the, yeah. We had the Scotia Tiger program. Right. It was a test program, uh, that, and later they decided to expand the, the size of the squadron and uh, prepare the airplanes for transition to the Vietnamese. So the maintenance, the maintenance people would go to the States and learn how to maintain the airplane while the pilots learn how to fly it. And uh, when that was in the process, I extended and went up to fly the outcountry mission. Gotcha. And, and how was that aircraft? Uh, very similar to T-38, correct? Same same airplane? Yeah, F-5. Yeah. It's yeah. like a T-38. It's been evolved out of the T-38. had a couple of 50 caliber machine guns. Uh-huh. F-5C. If gotcha. I didn't have the guns. Right. But uh, so we did a lot of uh, we work in Route Pack 1 and uh, Route Pack 2 and Route Pack, uh, you know, around Benoit and mm-hmm. uh, the Delta region. Mm-hmm. Hitting targets as designated and uh, providing close support when required. And uh, so when did you move to the F-4? Uh, in January of uh, 67, I told them I wanted to go up and fly the F-4 when they asked me what my next assignment, what I requested for my next assignment. And I said, I'd like to go up to uh, Da Nang and fly uh, F-4s. Well, you have to go back to the States and check out the airplane at Davis Month and for a three- mm-hmm. or four-month training program. I yeah. Said, no, no. All I need is a reach. I got flown the airplane before. Hmm. I'd flown it for a week at Davis Month and then had uh, got checked out completely. Went to the gunnery range and all that stuff. Yeah. So, and so uh, I just went up there and they gave me an IP and we went out and, to get an airplane and uh, they were it was out of commission. The radar room was open and so 
we went to the spare and it was loaded with ordnance and the IP said, well, we can't take that one. I said, of course we can. <laughs> we can get rid of the ordnance. <laughs> now, he thought we were going to jettison the ordnance, but I called an airborne command and control ship and got a target and went and dropped a bomb and the IP said, now we can go off and uh, complete the checkout. I said, no, we got more bombs. I only dropped one. <laughs> he didn't want to fly with me anymore. No, I was checked out. So you had uh, over 550 combat missions, about 400 of them in, in Vietnam, and you downed three MiGs. Can you tell us about that experience? It was all in one day, is that my correct, or not? No, no, a couple of days with the MiGs. Uh -huh. We were not flying uh, up around the Hanoi region very much. We were doing a lot of night flying into Vietnam and uh, looking for trucks and so on at night. Mm -hmm. It was a ridiculous assignment because most of the guys couldn't dive by bomb, <laughs> dive bomb with sufficient accuracy uh, under daylight conditions, under controlled range conditions, when you knew the winds and the weather was calm, etc. But, uh, you know, 140, 140 feet was qualifying. But we were looking to bomb a truck. 140 feet wouldn't do much damage. But uh, <laughs> that's what we did. And uh, I wasn't too happy with that mission. But I wanted the uh, I wanted to go up on the escort missions or the strike missions. When the MiGs were not active, we'd uh, fly the strike mission, mm -hmm. whatever the target may be. And yeah. uh, but uh, on a particular day that I got my first MiG. We were escorting uh, F-105s. I was flying uh, number three because my boss had told me I couldn't. Uh, I'd been gone for two weeks to the fighter conference back in Nellis. And he said, uh, yeah, we've changed tactics, so you can't leave. So I said, okay. And I got one of my flight commanders out of bed and said, you're leading, and off we went. Hmm. And uh, we were heading down Tud Ridge toward the target and I saw me. So I told him I was bango, I'm checked out. I'm I don't I recall I don't recall what the words were, but there were code words you used. Anyway, this essentially was I say a MIG, I'm going after him. And it was a MIG twenty one and uh, we went around and he went into a dive with a lot of karst in the background and I knew I couldn't get him with a sidewinder and I was gonna try an aim seven missile. If I'd only had a gun, I'd have had a chance at him much earlier. Mm -hmm. We were locked up and, and ready to fire, and my backseater is, uh, fire, fire. I mean, got an expanding series circle. We've got a, the necessary radar tones. And, but in the meantime, somebody yells, break, and I'm disciplined. So I laid it up on the side, full half stick, full bottom rudder, and the airplane spent, snapped around. And and uh, I'm passing nothing but more F4s. So mm -hmm. that big went the way of good health. Yeah. Then I saw another MiG and uh, uh, locked up on him with Sparrow missiles. And uh, when I got all the information I needed with the backseater locked on and I told him to go bore sight, which meant that I had the pipper on the target and mm -hmm. was able to lock on and <clears throat> I fired a missile and it didn't guide. And uh, he screamed and fire another. I did. It didn't guide. Hmm. I thought I was going to have to ram him. I mean, he made a hard left turn. And he was, again, the car was in the background, but I fired a missile and it hit him in the wing root. So hmm. that was the one MiG. What was the, what was it like to fly against a MiG-21? I mean, was it a, a threat? 
or a, a, a good adversary or not? Well, I think they were a good adversary. I, 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 I was happy to take them on under any circumstance. I, uh -huh. I just wanted a shot at them. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't concerned whether or not that I had no concern that they were going to be able to. Their tactics were tactics they took from the Russians, you know, attack mm -hmm. at 6 o'clock and break off. Mm -hmm. So they come in and fire the missiles, and that's what they did on the next time I was up. This time I was up with uh, leading uh, two flights of four, and uh, I was sitting high right watching the, the strike force of about 12 F-105s, and there were MiGs out there at our, my one o'clock. I saw a glint and picked them up visually, and uh, my backseater got locked on, but they were not a threat to the strike force. They they moved off, and I turned about 90 degrees to the right and decided I needed to protect the strike force, so I came back. Mm -hmm. And uh, a little while later, uh, two MiGs came in at 6 o'clock firing missiles. I, I, Before that happened, I, I jettisoned my external tanks because I thought there would be more MiGs around. And uh, <clears throat> when I saw them over my shoulder, I just made a hard turn, break left, and reversed as they overshot. Uh, one went up uh, to a serious, thin Cirrus deck as my missile went up his tailpipe, as a sidewinder. Mm -hmm. And then I saw the other one off to the right at one o'clock and I started after him. And he realized we were, he was under attack, so he started a hard left turn and a series of uh, reverses and turns, etc. as he I tried to get lead on him because he didn't know it, but I had an M61 external cannon. Hmm. Uh, it was not coming. We had no gun sight, just a pipper. Was that mounted on your wing, I assume? No, it was hanging on the belly. I see. Okay. So, uh, anyway, uh, finally he had to pull out of his dive after a lot of this back and forth. And we got lower and lower. And I was aware of flak, but uh, I wouldn't pay any attention to that. Finally, I had to start his pullout, at which time I put a pepper in front of him because I didn't know what kind of lead to take and hosed him down. And uh, apparently he got hit because he wings rocked and he hit the ground. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I came off and smoking around up there, minding my own business, when there was another Meg suddenly. And... Uh, we scissored, and he, he headed south, and I was following him again. Here he is, blue sky, got sidewinders. In the meantime, my wingman had been screaming about being low on fuel. Uh, I'm bingo. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. bingo minus. I'm no shit bingo minus. Mm -hmm. I said, head uh, west, I'll pick you up. And so I gave up that MiG in order to escort him back. Him. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, the tanker deviated from his profile and came north and he got on the tanker with only a couple hundred pounds of fuel remaining. Wow. I don't know where all his fuel went because I still had fuel. He must have been running around an afterburner with his speed brakes out. <laughs> well, the F4 drank a lot of fuel, right? Well, yeah. With the, If you're in burner, you got two J79 engines and you burn up a lot of fuel in a hurry. Yeah. 
What was it like to fly that? What is it? Was it a responsive? What is a was it yeah, a maneuverable airplane? I, you know, I first time I saw the F four, Bob Little who was the chief pilot for uh, McDonnell, uh, brought it up to Edwards from St. Louis, and he was taxiing in. I looked out the window and said, "Oh, oh my God, look at that thing!" <laughs> the wing tips go up, and the tails goes down. <laughs> That's a monstrous looking thing. Yeah. <laughs> that was double ugly. But, uh, <laughs> You know, it had to had to have some characteristics to make it work on a on a ship, yeah. Aircraft carrier, but we we fixed that in certain respects. We put a gun in it and uh, and lightened up the landing the landing gear and saved some weight. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to crash it onto the deck of a right carrier. Although that's how they taught you to check out in it. You know, hold it on speed until you hit the ground. Kaboom! <laughs> yeah, it's a twelve thousand foot runway. Oh, why can't I let it smoothly land? Get a ground effect and hold it off and let it squeak on. Yeah. Same thing with takeoff. You have to have the stick full out 20 knots prior to predicted takeoff speed or some such mantra. And I, I said, why don't I just let it fly off when it's when it's ready? <laughs> However. So was it uh, maneuver-wise, was it comparable to the MiG-21 or better or worse? I suspect that it uh, was equal. Again, you know, flying is a, it depends on the skill of the pilot mm-hmm. to a large extent. And uh, if you're afraid to bend your airplane around, you might lose the in the uh, engagement. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to take the airplane to its limits or even exceed its limits, then you ought to have a better fate, better chance, better chance. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, uh, the MiG that was uh, I was after that finally crashed into the ground after I gave him a burst of 20 millimeter. He he was uh, quite maneuverable and uh, mm-hmm. back and forth. And the other one that I engaged in at higher altitude, uh, you know, I every time I tried to get lead on him, he'd reverse, and then I have to go back and try to get lead on him again. And uh, yeah, so it was give and take. But I think the final analysis. Uh, I would never have been concerned about worrying about him getting an advantage on me. It just didn't mm-hmm. look at life that way. So then you, uh, did you fly after Vietnam or were you more in a staff positions? Well, uh, after Vietnam, I went to uh, the Pentagon to work on getting the FX, which became the F-15. So mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time working with contractors defining the parameters that we're looking for and what we call concept formulation, mm-hmm. briefing uh, members of Congress and uh, members of the air staff. And uh, we had uh, General Disselsway, Commander Attack, convinced that we were on the right track, and also General Ferguson, Commander of Systems Command, that we were on the right track. So we had them in our pocket, and we also had uh, Barry Goldwater and Senator Cannon in our pocket. So we didn't have any problem with uh, recalcitrant members of Congress or the Senate. And, and so, you know, it, uh, there were a lot of people telling us we we're building the wrong airplane and we needed commonality. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whiz kids, you know, were all talking about commonality. They wanted one airplane for all services. Right. Sort of like the current F-35 fiasco. Yeah. What are your thoughts about the F-35 coming from your perspective? Uh, my question is, uh, what's the mission? Yeah. And uh, some people say it was close support. Others say, well, it has to take off vertically to cover the Marines' uh, 
Yeah. Invasions ashore. And, uh, you know, everybody wants it to do something differently. And so you've got a complex uh, development cycle. It's uh, My question is, what is the requirement? When we built the F-15, I had the task of writing the operational requirement, the general operational requirement, when I was a manager in TAC headquarters. Mm -hmm. The CEO of TAC said, General Graham, write up in our general operational requirement for an air superiority fighter. So I did. And later, that was sent forth to the Pentagon. And later, when I came back from Vietnam, I was assigned to be the program element monitor on the FX, which became the F-15, as I mentioned. And so um, that's how it worked. Well, sir, what, what should uh, pilots in today's military know from your past experience? <laughs> Well, things have changed. I'm not in a position to, I mean, the technology is so complex these days. I, I flew the F-15 simulator recently and and uh, flew in the back seat of one. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd flown the F-15 earlier while I was still on active duty. The complexity of the systems uh, takes a lot of uh, a lot of training time. Yes. Uh, I mean, you get in the simulator and try to figure out where everything is. It's a maze. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember briefing the uh, fighter wing at the at the Mountain Home a couple of years back. And I talked about when I was at Edwards, you were restricted suddenly to fly only, be carrying only four aircraft. And I said, so I was restricted to four aircraft, except I was on the exception list for four more. Mm -hmm. F-86, the F-100, the F-105, I was flying the U-2, uh, you know, you name it. I was flying everything on the ramp. And uh, well, how can, you can't be carting all those airplanes. I said, well, you're only worried about takeoff and landing and bending the airplane around the sky to evaluate its flying characteristics and so on. You don't have to worry about radar controls and, uh, and infrared and uh, who knows what. So, to me, an airplane's an airplane. Right. The old story, you pull back on the pole and it goes up, you keep pulling back on the pole, it'll come back down. <laughs> well, sir, thank you for your time. Uh, extremely interesting. I, uh, I I appreciate you laying out your career for us in this, in this interview. Not as long as uh, I could go on for hours, but um, anyway, thank you very much. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your time. Okay. Take care, sir. Bye.